Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Film Find, the greatest movie podcast ever, assuming you'd never listened to a movie podcast before. My name is Adam Portress, and we're late. Uh, but there's a reason why we were late, because we didn't record an episode this week. Uh, because, you know, there was really only one thing out of notice, out of note, rather, uh, and that was the Suicide Squad. Uh, there was nine lives out, but, you know... Our our hashtag of hashtag we watch everything can't last forever, and my God, um, we just couldn't bring ourselves to watch that one. But I will tell you this, um, Andre, the black nerd on YouTube, he did a uh, like a 20-minute review of that movie. If you wanted an entertaining thing, go check out that stuff, man. Uh, that was pretty damn funny. Uh, but we didn't review that, so we did Suicide Squad. So uh, what you're gonna what follows now? Is just the episode of Here Movie Podcast where we uh, talked about Suicide Squad, and uh, it's very film findy. And as much as we talk a lot about, uh, you know, how things are released, how things are reviewed, and stuff like that, and money, and you know, so we get into like a little bit of the stuff that we tend to on this show because Matt is on the episode. So uh, you know, so if you've heard it, the HMP episode, sorry, nothing new here, but uh, you know, we. We work hard, damn it. <laughs> so uh, we appreciate you guys uh, kind of sticking with us and everything. And, of course, we'll be back uh, next week to, uh, or, you know, in a couple of days, really, uh, to talk about Sausage Party and uh, probably Pete's Dragon and the other one, which is not coming to mind for some darn reason. Oh, uh, the the one with the, uh, the gal that can't sing. Uh, damn it. It's the Meryl Streep movie. I forget the name off the top of my head. I've already seen it. Flor- Florence Foster Jenkins. Damn, that came to mind. That's a good one. Okay, so uh, so we'll be fucking forget it. It's been a long day, guys. Uh, but we'll be reviewing those next week and everything. So sit back and enjoy this episode of the Film Find, where we talk about Suicide Squad. Gentlemen, welcome to the Hero Movie Podcast, your greatest source for superhero movie discussion in the multiverse. I am your host, Adam Portress, and I'm joined by Bruce Leslie. I'm a prickly pear, and Matt, if Adam shoots me, I want you to kill him and clear my browser history. Mm-hmm. You don't want to clear your browser history this week, kids, because we got a grand new episode. And joining us from the Preacher Podcast and the uh, the other you know show I do called The Film Fine, don't know if you've heard of it or not, it's not as successful as the other two, but it's still a darn fine show, and I'm joined. Also, Bulls- what bull bull snark, man? We uh, <laughs> were we were as successful as Preacher Podcast for is a hot second this past week for a hot second for a hot second, boy. And sometimes that's all you need <laughs> to boost one's own morale a little bit. Yes. Ah, uh, but ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if you've heard. There's this little movie called Suicide Squad. It is big, and. Uh, Highly anticipated. Highly anticipated for sure. There's, uh, you know, made a large chunk at the box office. We don't have the official numbers as we're recording this. Projected uh, to hit 150, though. Yeah, so that's pretty darn big. Yeah, I thought Friday actuals were like 65 million mm-hmm. for previews plus Friday. Yeah, and that's above what the original projection was. So, 
We'll see. But, so we, we know people are going to see it, but are people coming out smiling? Critics didn't seem to. Uh, pretty low there in the old Rotten Tomatoes uh, aggregation and whatnot. Uh, but we're going to see what we think, because I'll be honest with you guys. Before going to see this movie, I you know, th- th- because of all the hate, because of all the things going down, and I'm hearing a lot of people going, don't waste your time, man. It stinks. Don't watch it. And I'm just like... I don't know like who to trust, you know, because I don't know who's like has any kind of experience with any of this stuff. I know most, you know, uh, critics don't, and they like their experiences what with what they've kind of dealt with in the past as far as movies and stuff goes. But you know, is it is it not for them? Is it for the fans? Well, we're gonna find out here because you know who you trust, guys. You trust us, and rightfully so because we're pretty darn good at this. <laughs> Absolutely. I uh, hope you don't actually trust me. Well, you know, some of us <laughs> were, are a little bit on the sketchy side. Speaking of someone who uh, not only trusts us, but we trust them, is the people that drop down to the iTunes. Give us a five-star review, a.k.a. Humdinger. Humdinger? <laughs> wait, del- Matt, for a second. <laughs> he's just like, is Matt going to do it? Is that-? He's like, I'm not getting any of your shit, <laughs> I'm not doing it. I don't do shtick. I don't know if you guys have figured that out yet. <laughs> I just bring the game. We'll have you do a shtick by the end of this episode, boy howdy. Oh, that was common, not the game that was in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, coming, so true. Coming from the streetest of all of us. Thanks, Bruce. Uh, <laughs> this one is from um, Gato Gordot. That's how I'm going to pronounce it. Gordot, just like Gal Gadot. Sure it is. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it is entitled, Fantastic Find, but I like Sylvester Stallone, and they make fun of him. Well, uh oh, uh oh. Well, we love Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, Let's... I think it's I think it's all love, my friend. Uh, and it reads as follows: I started listening to this podcast after finding their excellent preacher podcast. Oh, well, thank you, another convert. We'll love it. Uh, these guys compliment each other so well. Adam keeps the discussion flowing. Adam is also able, uh, also often able, is able to pick out the technical flaw in the film. <laughs> That's called just being a uh, jerk. Uh, this is generally useless to me, not having an eye for it. But uh, mean to, but but I mean to use this uh, to my advantage when I get to watch one of these films with my daughter, who studied film at NYU and owns a production company, and can claim the insight as my own. <laughs> uh, Bruce keeps us informed with the character background and the amount of work that he puts into the show is evident. Sean, well, what can I say about a man who is able to take an obscure person involved in the show or film and connect that person to Sylvester Stallone? It's especially funny when Bruce manages to out zany. Sean's zaniness. Uh, that is from Ghetto Gordot, however you'd like to pronounce it as the internet goes. And uh, we thank you, appreciate you uh, dropping down there to the iTunes, giving us a five-star review, a.k.a. Humdinger. Humdinger. And we appreciate that and want you to do it as well. I mean, it only helps the show get out to other people. So if you've listened to Preacher, welcome. Uh, you know, same kind of crew you've been uh, rolling with, man, especially Adam, for this uh, episode. Quick, yeah. quick, quick question about that username. Sure thing. Is there a T at the end of it? There is indeed. That's how I was pronouncing it that way. Okay. Yeah. I just I was curious. That's my French uh, my French background. <laughs> Me- meaning ancestors that I've never review. met were born were born in Canada, so it's in his uh-huh. review, so it's Gardote or whatever. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we were waiting for Gar Gardot. Waiting for Gardot. <laughs> indeed. Yeah. 
Uh, so we got some emails, gentlemen. We don't have a ton of emails that we get on this show, but we've been branching out in all of our shows, man, from Preacher to this one and uh, the film. Fine, we're getting lots of emails, and we appreciate that. And you can this always going to be fun because I haven't been on this show in months. <laughs> so you can uh, drop on down to uh, here, uh, just here movie podcast at gmail dot com to uh, throw us an email. And this one comes from Jeremy. A uh, couple of requests, maybe. Hey, guys, not sure if I reach HMP or status yet, but I've made the rounds and liking and following, and I even wrote a poorly grammared iTunes review a few weeks ago. Can't stop lugging. <laughs> <laughs> I love that one. That was a good one. Man, that was funny. Anyway, I wanted to throw a couple of requests slash suggestions your way. I'm not sure if the movie is any good because I have because I have been told uh, I have a blind spot for the uh, main actress. But Ultraviolet, while not a comic book movie, was definitely sold as one. Went even so far as to have several pro comic artists uh, make uh, mock up covers for the uh, opening sequence. It's been a guilty pleasure of mine for years. I think you like that movie a lot, don't you, Matt? Uh, I enjoy it quite a bit. Yeah, there you go. And uh, I think it's an AFI top ten. And just okay. Now you're just messing around. <laughs> no, no, no. It's uh, it is the AFI top, top ten. Top ten what? Movies, uh, movies, movies with the title inspired by the uh, visual spectrum. Mila, visual spectrum. No, 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 no. Top it's, ten it's, Mila Jolovich movies. It's in the AFI top ten. Uh, that's the uh, movies that star Mila Jovovich. That's that's all I got. That's yeah. There are nine it. Resident Evil movies in Ultraviolet. That's it. That's all she's done. It's uh, confused. And, and and uh, Fifth Element, yeah, they're all in there. It's that. They, the list expands whenever she puts out a new one. The AFI just adds to the list. <laughs> the top twelve, thirteen, yeah. seventeen. Yeah. You know, so oh, she was in Cuffs. Cuffs is on there. Blue Lagoon two. Yeah, she was underage Retur- and, and was it Return of Blue? Both of those, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Jeremy continues. <laughs> We're off the rails already. Uh, another one is called Boy Wonder, which is sort of a uh, dark real-world take on the Batman and Robin story. Also not strictly a comic adaptation, but obviously influenced by comics. I only saw it once when it was on Netflix years back. I remember liking the premise and being intrigued enough to stay up late to finish it. So just a couple suggestions if you find yourselves not sure what to do next. Love all the shows you guys do and look forward to each one. Also, when is Sean coming back? I want to know his thoughts on the Preacher finale. Uh, he should. He's he's, he's 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 around. He's got he's got stuff to do. He's he's far more. He's he's bigger than all of us. <laughs> he uh, someone so, he's, ma- someone he's so making far is- more money than I have uh, ever made right now. So I'm gonna let him do what he's doing. I I like the uh, I like the preacher review. Uh, like on the, on the podcast that we do, the iTunes review down there that claims, hey, look, he's uh, he's actually probably God. He's just taking a step out, just like that. All of a sudden, it's like he stepped down from his throne of podcasting, and he's. You know he's disgruntled, but I, I don't think he's disgruntled. He's well, just, he just went he just went back to doing just the Adam Carolla podcast. Yeah, he's I know just that. Doing- <laughs> uh, I know there are non disclosure agreements, but all I'm going to say is that Freddy Got Fingered prequel won't make itself. <laughs> <laughs> We've already said way too much. Yes, yes. Uh, now this one is from longtime listener Matthew Snap, and uh, he is uh, amongst our uh, longest listeners, I, I do believe. Uh, and Matthew writes as follows. Hey guys, uh, just watched Suicide Squad and I can say it was okay. Yes, just okay. I'm actually going to, I forgot about this. I'm going to read this after we kind of, uh, we're, Matt, we're going to come back to you, buddy. Because I don't want to, I don't want to get into the thick of this. So that was what we of, call a teaser or maybe ooh. even a sizzle read. Uh, sure. I'll take that. <laughs> it's a sizzle, I, d- sizzle I think that's read. exactly what it is. 
Yeah, sizzle read. I don't, uh, that's, sure, <laughs> that's a thing that we're doing now. Uh, so let's get into it, everybody. Uh, you've, you, chances are, according to the box office, you've seen it, but what do we think about the Suicide Squad? Let's go ahead and take a listen to the trailer. Is this the real life? Let me have you, Donald, please. I want to assemble a task force of the most dangerous people on the planet. They're bad guys. Worst of the worst. Was this a cheerleading trials? Guy uh, shoots people. He's a crocodile and he eats people. Burns people. You're possessed by a witch. And she's just crazy. What was that? I should kill everyone and escape? Sorry. The voices. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's not what they really said. This is the deal. You're going somewhere very bad. To do something that'll get you killed. Let's go save the world. I can't wait to show you my toys. Let's do something fun. wrong with you people we're bad guys it's what we do really all right that was a trailer for suicide squad our new release review of this week imdb plotline as we know imdb always 100 percent correct in everything they say and or do a secret government agency uh, recruits a group of uh, imprisoned supervillains to educate or to execute dangerous black ops missions in exchange for clemency, which inevitably leads to chaos. This is written and directed by David Ayer, starring Will Smith, Jared Leto, Margaret Robbie, Viola Davis. We got Ike Barinholtz. We got, uh, you know, uh, I got to scroll down because they put these in a weird order, and I want to get the big people first, of course. Scott Eastwood. Scott Eastwood. Yes. Oh, yes. Scott Eastwood. One of the big ones. David Harbour. <laughs> from Stranger Things. <laughs> Jay Hernandez and uh, Clara, uh, I can never pronounce her last name, uh, Joel Kinnaman, a handful of others. Okay, so uh, before we get into this, uh, Bruce, I understand this is a comic book. Yes. Okay, tell us a little bit about what what's what. Okay, well, the, the Suicide Squad, as we know them today, were introduced by John Ostrander in 1987, uh, but you might not know that their roots go back to, to 1959 war comics. Uh, the original Suicide Squad team included Rick Flagg Jr., his girlfriend Karen Grace, Dr. Hugh Evans, and Jess Bright. Not a supervillain among them. 
Uh, this team was formed to fight monstrous menaces as a replacement for the Justice Society of America, whose members had mostly retired in the wake of unjust accusations during the McCarthy era. Two important things to know about this original Suicide Squad is that they predated the 1960-something film The Dirty Dozen, and they were largely forgotten with time. The only member of the original squad to make his way to Task Force X was Rick Flagg, uh, along with his girlfriend Karen, acting as a field medic. In the aftermath of Crisis on Infinite Earths, newly created character Amanda the Wall Waller, a tough-as-nails lady who clawed herself away from a housing project in the worst part of Chicago by sheer force of will, assembled Task Force X under the field commander flag. The initial roster included Blockbuster, Bronze Tiger, Captain Boomerang, Deadshot, and Enchantress, a ragtag group of C to D list villains that had been forgotten, as in the case of former top hat wearing Deadshot, or were outright laughingstocks. Uh, have you guys seen what Captain Boomerang used to wear in the comics? Anyway, this group quickly became one of the most formidable teams in the universe, I'm sorry, in the DC universe, destroying Darkseid's rampaging fire elemental brimstone. In what I consider to be a wonderful move, John Ostrander would have chaplains and psychologists speak with the individual members of the squad, having the effect of being a comic book equivalent of the confessionals on MTV's real world. This managed to familiarize the readers with the characters as well as humanize these obscure cast members of the comics. After their second mission in the comic books, Batman finds out about the existence of Task Force X, and, uh, well, he wasn't exactly a fan. Bats confronts Waller, and the portly 40-something single mom swats the bat down like a fly. She buries her stout index finger firmly in the Dark Knight's chest and says, Be careful who you mess with, rich boy letting Gotham's protector know that in Waller's world, his secret identity ain't quite so secret. On one assignment, Deadshot is told to stop Rick Flagg from killing a senator at all costs. And how does Deadshot accomplish this? Well, he does it by killing the senator before Flagg gets a chance. This is how the Suicide Squad solves problems. And that's also why for 66 issues, readers were gobbling up Ostrander's stories. Just like we see in the movie, there's an occasion when Boomerang convinces Slipknot to make a break for it and Slipknot gets detonated, blowing him all the way to some Midwestern cornfield where he starts a new metal band that wears Halloween masks. In 1992, Waller disbanded the squad and the comic title went on a 19-year hiatus. But in 2011, with the launch of the New 52, writer Adam Glass brought back the Suicide Squad. He brought it back to the pages of an ongoing comic, and this time with two things that it never had before. Harley Quinn, whose most important superpower is the ability to sell comics, and a sexy Amanda Waller. Now, if there are three words that really sound strange together to me, they are sexy, Amanda, and Waller. You see, I love the wall. I don't want an America's next top model, Waller. Uh, the woman who rose to the top level of covert governmental operations by being made of iron and forged in fire, uh, being the only human in the DC universe with the cojones to put Batman in a corner and the strength to keep him there. Well, she was turned into someone who looks good in spandex. Now, thankfully, with DC Rebirth, Suicide Squad's Amanda the Wall Waller has returned to the form that does it for me. And Adam, do you know what that form is? Uh, Deca Godzilla. <laughs> See, Sean would know this. Fat, 
and sassy. Well, you know, we we you know he was he was always about the fat and sassy uh, Amanda Waller. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, no kidding, man. But uh, here's the thing, man. You you were you you were on that train too. What, what was the what was the gal Shirley from What's Happening? Don't we? Is she still alive? Oh no, I wanted Nell Carter. There you go. Okay, it's close yeah, enough. I wanted Nell Carter. But yeah, Shirley would have done a good job. But uh, yeah, man. So this this movie uh, hit like like we'd said at the top of the show was uh, opened up to a lot of. Uh, a lot of box office, a lot of uh, kind of mixed reviews, mostly mixed from fans, but mostly uh, critics are pretty much down on this bad boy. And I'll be honest with you guys, before this whole thing, um, the critics really just jumped on this, and I, I thought it was just so bizarre. It didn't fit in based on kind of uh, sort of the good feeling, like the uh, this just kind of general consensus of good feeling going into this movie. It totally caught me off guard when the early reviews came out. Now, and Matt, Matt, maybe you can jump in on this. I mean, do we really think that it, 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 cause we talked about this on the film find where critics think that they really know what the heck they're talking about these days and almost have kind of coined themselves experts in, you know, matters such as these. Well, I think, uh, there are a couple of different things at play whenever you're talking about, um, critics. Okay. The first thing that you really have to realize is that, um, like a critic is not a person who is there to tell you definitively this thing is good or this is bad and you should not see it or you should see it. Uh, and this is how I view what I do as well, right? Like I give you an impression of what the film is, what it's like, and then I tell you my own personal feelings about it. That's what a critic does, right? Um, Should do, at least. Well, I think they do. I think uh, it just so happens that, um, you know, we can talk a little bit here uh, shortly about Warner Brothers and some of the issues going on with them. But it just so happens that uh, Warner Brothers has been pretty successful at alienating people who want to watch good movies and not just movies that appeal to uh, diehard comic book fans, if that makes sense. No, I can, I can kind of understand that. Because, uh, right, like, I hear people talk about online, like, critics are being bought or uh, they're being paid for bad reviews. Like, a couple of absurd things come out of this. First and foremost is those people are going to be really upset to find out that most critics and pretty much all of them on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, they get paid for every review they write. <laughs> um, second... Money exchanges hands for goods and their services. What yeah. are you... Ugh. Yeah, what are you, a capitalist? Gross. Um, the second thing is, uh, like, you s still can go and see it and think the movie's good. Um, they were not... They, Look, there's there's this weird thing that's happened where Marvel has been very successful and critics like them. Mm -hmm. um, and DC has attempted to do that, or Warner Brothers more accurately, has attempted to do what Marvel has done less successfully and critics tend to not like their stuff as much. But that's not really the dichotomy at play. It looks that way because we're used to, as comic book fans thinking about what the big two are doing in relation to one another. But but what's really happened, right, is like DC for a long time had the critical respectability. 
the oh, first yeah. the first I'm, two Burton Batman mo- movies, the, right? Superman the, in the 70s. Uh, e- even um, like the Swamp Thing movie had its followers, right? Um, well, they and, were the and, only skin in the game for a while. Yeah, not to mention the Nolan Batman, right? Like, like if you if you think that critics really are just down on DC, uh, go back and look at those reviews, man. Critics really like those Nolan Batman films and the Burton Batman films. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't I don't know. I think the whole discussion of it's silly. Um, I do think that there's a tendency on both sides to really jump on one side of the train really early, as opposed to uh, just um, like trying to discuss what it is that works and doesn't work first and foremost, and then coming out with the verdict, uh, it just becomes a whole, I think because of the elevated level of online discussion, it reaches a level of vitriol very quickly where people are accusing critics uh, who are, uh, you know, it's their job to say whether a movie is good or bad according to their own taste. And if they don't like it, um, people are very quick to jump on and uh, tweet at them some really messed up stuff sometimes. Now, and then and then it rises on the opposite side for the critics because that's their feedback they're getting, right? Because no one else has seen the movie. And so, of course, the only people who are going to be talking to them about the movie and how much they suck are people who haven't even seen the movie yet. Now, uh, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions about what you, Matt, and uh, Adam, please pitch in, what you really think the the primary job of a critic is. Uh-huh. And, and what I mean by that is do you think that uh, the critic's primary job is to take like an academic, objective look at the movie and evaluate it on uh, a more, I guess, a more objective artistic scale. Or is their job to try to steer viewers uh, towards or away from a movie? Do you, do you know what I'm? You follow? Yeah, me? yeah, yeah. So, so I think there are two things that are, that are at play here that people very often get confused. Uh, with one another, okay? And and it has to do with kind of the rise of the entertainment press more generally as a cultural phenomenon. Um, Good criticism, even if it's a movie review, right? So we're talking like Pauline Kael, who I uh, disagree with at least half the time, right? Her movie reviews, when I go back and read them, whether it's about uh, what she has to say about HUD or Psycho or any great film, right? Um, I will disagree with her about half the time. Uh, But what's valuable for her criticism is that she is writing about the film and she's writing about culture um, and also her own taste. What tends to happen now, I think, is there's a conflation of that job of the critic with this uh, consensus culture, which really is not even fueled by the act of criticism itself. It really is sites like Rotten Tomatoes and like... uh, uh, what's a cinema score and Metacritic, yeah. right? Um, those sites have pushed the idea that all of these things are simple binaries of good or bad, and you should pay or should not pay. And but the so- job of the critic is not to do that. They can tell you, like, skip it or don't skip it, or this is what I thought about it, but all good criticism will come down to this is where I'm coming to this film from. Uh, it appeals to or does not appeal to me, and this is why. And if the critic does that, that's a good thing. And I think most people do that as critics. There are people who don't do that. Um, but, they, you know, those are the people who also just hop online on whatever, uh, you know, 
random cinema website like uh I, it's not like not slash film but a site like a slash film knockoff right um and they get their review on rotten tomatoes because they've reviewed i think the threshold is some like 150 movies uh written reviews or something to be considered a rotten tomatoes critic um published right so they hit that threshold but they have literally been on that site basically doing recaps right which is not not criticism of any criticism of any sort really i'm great Um, caps careful of criticism and that's fine i like i don't mind recaps uh i just think that no i'm trying to just they often get confused right right i'm trying Uh, to put that forward to tell people that uh i mean i do give like a score to the movie when i watch it here uh, actually, we do a better job on HMP, I think, of criticism. But I mean, on Preacher, we really do like a recap. We know we like every episode, so so I can, in my mind, sort of. Well, tell it's a different sort of criticism, right? So, so what we what we do on Preacher is not a review of the product itself. It's it's an in depth discussion of the pro of the project. Yeah, right? there's a certain assumption that you already like the product, or you wouldn't be listening to the show. Whereas here on Hero Movie Podcast, it's a little bit different go at things. Right, and the same at the film fine. Have right? you seen some of the movies we watch on these programs? My <laughs> word. Well, here, here's one thing, though. I, I'm glad you brought up the idea of the uh, binary rating that Rotten Tomatoes has. And I don't even want to tackle the idea that it seems to be you don't really need to prove yourself to uh, be counted on Rotten Tomatoes. It would be like saying, I've done 150 surgeries. Every patient died, but because I did 150, I'm a doctor now. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of that yeah. way with Rotten Tomatoes. But that whole binary thing, three-star ratings can go either way. And sometimes there are movies that have a lot of three-star ratings that end up with a low percentage because right. – uh, well, yeah. here, here's the other thing about Rotten Tomatoes specifically, since it, uh, since it is on the binary as opposed to like a percentage like the Metacritic score is, right? Yeah. Um, the one thing I will say that I think is a misconception about Rotten Tomatoes is it is a binary, but it's not a pure binary. Um, those reviews are submitted to Rotten Tomatoes, and they look at them and say, okay, this definitely leans more bad than positive. But if the critic disagrees with what their uh, assessment of their review is, and they think, well, the movie's actually more good than bad, maybe that wasn't clearly conveyed in my review, they can contact Rotten Tomatoes and have them change that. And it's happened before. I'm sure it's happened. Um, Somebody feels strongly, but I'll be honest, if it were me and it was a movie that I gave a three-star review, I probably wouldn't feel strongly enough to even see. Right. Well, but, well because, because a three-star review is actually not a good review but of, it's if also- you're on a five-star scale. You know what I mean? But there's also a difference, you know, like when I'm looking at Suicide Squad. Uh-huh. It's got 26%. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, out of that 26%, so we got 74% that were, were, lo- were logged as negative. Uh-huh. But let's, let's just use a round number, 100. So yep. if, if 74 of those negative reviews, if uh, 70 of them were three stars, that's different than if 70 of them were one stars. So oh, uh, yeah, there is, there is a difference, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind if they had like a 0.5 value. But, uh, but I also think, Bruce, that the problem with Rotten Tomatoes is not Rotten Tomatoes system; it's how people think Rotten Tomatoes is supposed to work. They, I feel like people think that that even with a three star can go either way. They think that like Rotten Tomatoes is dumping on something or whatever. The point of Rotten Tomatoes 
is that it aggregates reviews for you to go and look and read as many of them as you want without having to go to a hundred websites and find those reviews or read a hundred newspapers to get a, con a sense of what the critical consensus is. And in their That's the point. And people don't go and read the reviews. They look at the percentage and they go, oh, people are dumping on this thing. And but if you go and read the negative reviews, you will see a lot of the same things that I'm certain I am going to say during this show. And, if, and in their defense, they do list the audience scores. And some movies have a huge disconnect, like uh, The Dark Knight, you know, uh -huh. one of the most beloved comic book adaptations ever. It's got perfectly lines up 94% on uh, the tomato meter, 94% with the audience. Yep. Suicide Squad is 26 and 73. So at least they let you know that there's some enjoyment out there beyond what the uh, critics had to say, I guess. Yeah, although although I will also say, like, uh, well, you can I look at something like... Say, well, uh, you, can, you can look at something like Ghostbusters, right? Which, um, which is the reverse of that, but... And is, I, think, I think that's the point I was trying to make, is if people think that the critics uh, have an agenda, that's nothing compared to the agenda on the audience score. Because like you yeah, said... Yeah, well, as, as I said... As I said on the film find uh, when we reviewed Ghostbusters, if everybody who had submitted a user review on IMDb or Rotten Tomatoes had actually seen Ghostbusters, it would not have had a $46 million opening weekend. Yes, and uh, that's kind of uh, the thing I'm trying to po point out is that the audience score is there, but if you think that it's easy to jimmy with the tomato meter, it's really easy to jimmy with the audience score. But you know who you can't jimmy with? HMP. We don't mess around over here. We, we tell it like it is. We let you know what's what. We're not I, binary. We got the Robin rating system. Although we'll if a studio that. does want to give me, uh, say, $100 a month so I can get movie pass, I will give you whatever review you want. It's true. Because <laughs> currently, just, just I, I have no scruples. We can't send be an email and say, "Give me that movie pass," and it's nothing but Dick Grayson for you the rest of the year. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> the thing is, man, is like, yeah, we're at, we're at a point right now where we can be bought. So, you know, <laughs> that's but, all. Awesome. Uh, yeah, the one thing here that I do try to do, you know, trying to relate back to that critic's responsibility, is I try to tell people what I thought, and then I also try to tell people. Is there something interesting here, or is this just something that I find interesting that you might not? Like like that Nick Fury, David Hasselhoff movie that I loved, I gave it a higher rating, but I also said it's because I'm a little weird, you know? And then same thing. With I would that say very weird, but whatever you, verbiage you want to use, but okay. <laughs> so let's jump into Suicide Squad. But here's the thing. So exactly now now we've uh Matt and I have uh, reviewed a David Ayer flick or two over on uh over on the film fine. And uh, I, I would say that, by and large, we kind of like the gentleman's work, yeah? Now, yeah. Uh, guys, if I may ask, what are the movies you like that he directed? I know he's written more than he's directed, so I'm trying to well, figure out what did he direct. Well, I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, End of Watch. Mm -hmm. I think that movie is excellent. Uh, probably, It's still his best movie. Uh, Fury from last year uh, is excellent as well. I've heard great things, haven't seen it. Fury's, Fury's yeah. really good, and that's why, and honestly, after that movie, which was a bit of an ensemble movie, I was like, okay, Suicide Squads, I, I can really see what uh, him coming in and doing a little something here. So, mm -hmm. like, I, I was kind of a fan of the guy going in, and, you know, I'll be honest, in the DC Universe at this point, when they're like, hey, someone other than Zack Snyder is going to be doing a DC movie, I'm like, sweet. Who we got? David Ayer? Oh, I like David Ayer's stuff well enough. Let's yeah, I mean, the only in, movie man. of his that I don't like, I because th I think it is actually really bad, is... Uh, Street Kings with uh, Keanu Reeves. Not because it's got Keanu Reeves, but it's really poorly written, I think. Reeves and is great. Right, 
I mean, my understanding is David Ayers writes more than he directs, so I'd imagine he probably writes the things that he has directed. A fair chunk of them, yeah. And he got the sole writing credit on Suicide Squad, but don't you think he had a little bit of help oh, with Oh, I this? can guarantee you. Yeah, he had some pretty darn good comic book connections in there. And I know Jeff Johns is the new executive producer on these kind of things. So mm -hmm. I, I'd like to think that somebody kind of helped him with uh, – uh, because he, he did a good job of being comic book accurate with a lot of details. Yeah, well, that's that also, I think, uh, points us to a problem with the film. Uh, you know, we'll discuss as we get along, but uh, – there is part of this movie that as much as it does feel like a David Ayer film, uh, it also very much feels like there are way too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah, there's um, there's there's some uh, there's some Warner Brother DC puppeteers. I felt a little bit of that on the back end, but to be honest, I didn't have up front it didn't bother me, but toward the end of the film there were a few things I was just like, We don't need this. It it didn't bother me as much as it has on other films where that's happened. Oh, for sure, right? Like I did, I did not get. Uh, we talked about this with with uh, Batman versus Superman, right? I did not get the uh, too many ingredients feeling throughout the entirety of this film uh, that I that I had during that one. And I'll also say, like compared to Fantastic Four, I didn't feel like totally unenthusiastic reshoots with a different director vibe either. <laughs> you know what I mean? That was a serious too many cooks in the kitchen and the, the head oh, yes. an idiot. So th that had, that movie had problems beyond compare. Yeah. I, I'm fully on board with that too. I mean, um, I, I went into suicide squad expecting a, a certain thing and got slightly let down from that, but I didn't uh, think that it was uh, an unmitigated disaster. I had really high expectations before the reviews came out. The reviews gave me really low expectations, and then I went in there and it hit somewhere, a nice sweet spot in the middle. I don't know if you guys went back for a repeat watch, but I saw it twice, and I actually enjoyed it a lot more the second time when I had, uh, mm -hmm. I won't say no expectations, but I knew what I was getting, and I could just relax, and I wasn't being overly analytical that second time through, and I found it a lot more enjoyable. I think that's, I mean, because that's how I was with Batman v Superman, is my second time through that in the theater, I, I liked it more than I did the first time. And this one, I, I, I could imagine that being the same case as well. Uh, you know, I, I spent the extra money. I went and saw it in the 3D and IMAX and all that stuff. You, you don't have to, I'll be honest with you guys. Um, but, you know, I, I went in, I think, with the most mediocre of expectations because I kind of go off of what DC's track record has been thus far, and it has mm -hmm. nothing... Like, I've never been like, oh, it's the worst thing ever, but I've never been, you know, blown away yet. Yeah, my my big hesitation going into this film was that I knew it had gone through specific reshoots. So so we've talked about reshoots on the film find a little. I'm not generally worried about them, right, Adam? Yeah. Uh, like Rogue One, that doesn't bother me at all. Because right? everyone does these. We just live everyone in a time where now we know but, about them. But as soon as the Suicide Squad ones were announced, I knew that what they were doing was repinning the hopes for the entirety of the DCEU uh, on this small, weird, oddball, violent action flick. And that as a consequence, it was like a new chance for them to prove themselves as a whole for the DCEU. And it, quite frankly, worried me. 
Well, and here's the thing. We, we've gotten to the point, and this DC movie, uh, we'll, we'll just kind of start getting in, is is a lot like a lot of the other DC movies in in that it is dark, it is gritty. Uh, there's there's some humor in this one, not, you know, tons, I, I'd say. There's, a, there's a, a plenty of humor in this one. I, I'll disagree it's, with it's, you there. It's I think- darker humor, but, I mean, it's not like, you know, it, it doesn't feel like super, maybe not super levity kind of stuff. It's not Ant-Man. Yeah, exactly. But, there you go. That's a good comparison. It's not like an Ant Man kind of humor, but, but it is, I think there, there it, is funny in it. Don't don't get me wrong. I think it was a, a nice uh, nice opportunity for Will Smith to kind of go back to his roots. Man, I I liked what he brought to Deadshot. I thought he brought plenty of humor. Harley is past due to get her chance on the big screen, and I love Margot Robbie in this role. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you guys felt about that. That's probably what makes or breaks this film for a lot of people is whether or not they like Margot Robbie as. Uh, uh-huh. as Harley. And then there was also some unintentional humor that when we, if we get into breaking down the plot, I'll point that out. But I thought it, I thought it was a nice balance of, of humor and action, but I did feel like it lost its focus for a moment. But then after I knew where it was going, when I watched it the second time, I wasn't as bothered by that losing of the focus. Yeah, I think that's generally right. I really liked Margot Robbie. Um, I think, I think she and Deadshot, uh, they are by far the best things in this thing, in this uh, flick. Absolutely. And um, I really hope now that DC decides to get off their butts and make a Harley Quinn centric movie that is not Suicide Squad, um, and well, just I- give her a chance to like shine a little bit. The way this movie ended, and I hate to jump way ahead, but the way this movie ended and the feeling I get is that Harley and Joker are going to be a big part of the uh, Batman, the eventual inevitable. Mm-hmm. An Affleck Batman movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you kind of have to at this point. Yeah, yeah, there, yeah, there's no reason not to either. And in fact, um, I would say it's very hard to put Harley Quinn in a Suicide Squad sequel without some movie in between to explain how she got captured again. Well, let's and let, let's go ahead and do it. Let's let's uh, yep, address it's beat by beat, man. Let's. Well, okay, if you want to go beat by beat, so yeah, you want, man, you take the lead. I mean, I, I have no idea how we want to because I mean, it's it's a two hour long movie, and and I'll start by saying this. Um, I think this two-hour movie could have been better served as two great 90-minute movies because it feels like we go through so much but yet don't do anything. I feel like it would have been one great 90-minute movie. I don't know about two great 90-minute movies, but I think it would have been one great 90-minute movie. And to be honest, I thoroughly Mm -hmm. enjoyed what we got, but there are moments and characters I could have done without. Uh, Yeah. Uh, how about we talk about some of these characters instead of going beat by beat? I okay. think we'll get it all covered talking about the characters, and then I'll raise a few plot points that I think are worthy of discussion. Uh, but I think front and center, the you know, as wonderful as Harley Quinn is, mm-hmm. as important as Harley Quinn is to uh, the DC universe and comic books in general. You know, my my son, my eight year old son, he is all about Deadpool. My 10-year-old daughter is all about Harley. And let's be honest, Harley Quinn is the DC Deadpool, right? Yeah, I guess in a lot of ways, yeah. I kind of I yeah, never for really better thought or about worse, that, that then... is what the character gets treated as now. Well, they both have their fractured psyche. They both depend more on humor. We uh, understand that they're incompetent, but they always land on top and things like that. More Neither people like them as it. iconography as opposed to actually having any knowledge of them outside yes. of iconography. I, yeah, cosplay, man. Yeah. But uh, I think it was very important for DC to give us a good, charismatic Harley Quinn. I think that was quintessential. I think uh, quintessential. You're garbage. Thank goodness. <laughs> thank goodness. Fox finally uh, gave us a great Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool. I love that. I think we all love that, right? Oh yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And, and regardless of how this movie does, I do think that they accomplished uh, a positive by giving us Harley Quinn, uh, Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn and the way she was dealt with. I liked it. And I've got to say, I've never seen The Wolf of Wall Street, believe it or not. Believe so you me, you'll want to see it. Oh, believe me, I do. But you know, it's, it's, it got, it, honestly, it is on this week. So maybe this week I'll watch it every. This night. is the week for Wolf of Wall Street. This, yeah, because you don't want to watch this with the family in the house. I'll tell you that I'll much. Pick a potato and watch Wolf of Wall Street every <laughs> night this week. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so so I guess my understanding is she played a young lady. Yeah, she's Australian, the actress, but mm-hmm. she played a young lady from Brooklyn in Wolf of Wall Street, and that's what really caught people's mm-hmm. attention was how well this Australian did the Brooklyn accent, which is. Uh, amazingly better than my Brooklyn accent or my Australian accent. But <laughs> but anyway, I think they did a good job here with Harley. And I think Harley is here to stay in some form or fashion with Margot Robbie for a while. And I think that DC will roll that out into success. And I want to come back to that in a minute. I want to put a pin in that and come back to it. All right. Okay. Deadshot might be the first time that a, a major studio comic book adaptation has been able to... Uh, do the ethnicity swap on a character without an uproar, and I think Will Smith killed it. And and I got to tell you, man, uh, I haven't really been that into Will, Will Smith in a while, and I like Will Smith. I'm a Will Smith fan. I've seen every episode of The Fresh Prince. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I uh, loved uh, the Big Willie weekends back in the 90s when I got things like ID4 and Bad Boys and Bad Boys <laughs> 2. Good stuff, man. I even went to Wild Wild West opening night. That's You know, I was a Big Willie guy. Oh, you you poor schmuck. And then I was impressed with uh, his actual acting ability. You guys may not agree with me, but I loved his performance as Muhammad Ali. Yeah, he was I, good in that. I really liked it in that movie where uh, he uh, committed suicide by jellyfish. I guess I should have said spoiler before that because that's the end of it. But <laughs> no. but I, I really, really liked him in that. And, and I did not see that concussion movie because I don't think that was the right role for Will Smith. You guys, I know, have seen it. He, so was, he, was, he was fine enough in it. I didn't see it, actually. Yeah, I, I saw it. He was, he was fine. It was so also he was great in uh, in Focus, which Adam and I both really liked. Oh actually. yeah, Margot Robbie uh, with him in that as well. with yeah. Margot Robbie. And and if I were Jada Pinkett Smith, I would be a little worried if he makes another movie with her because it's hard to compete with that. But I don't want to digress. <laughs> they, they have some on screen chemistry. I'll tell you that I like them together. Mm-hmm. I got to tell you, I think Fish Mooney's going to be in the Suicide sequel, so she can keep an eye on people. <laughs> on set. I would love well, to then, see that. Well, then I'm going to hate that movie. <laughs> Just giving her sideways glances the whole time, like excuse me. Excuse me? <laughs> but I think those are two big wins. But for me personally, the biggest win was Viola Davis. She mm-hmm. understood Amanda Waller. I don't mm-hmm. know how she understood that character so well. It might be because she's an incredibly, incredibly talented actress. But but she n- didn't do a single – there was not a single uh, breath that came out of her mouth on screen that didn't have me convinced this was my Amanda Waller from the comics. Yeah, she is tremendous in this and, movie. I just wish she had slightly more to do. Yeah. And I really think, though, that she is setting, she's being set up, and I hope so because I love the character and I love the actress. Mm-hmm. But she's going to be the, the Nick Fury of the DC Universe, and I think she's perfect for it. And I think she uh, is perfect for what they're building in this universe. And why I say I think she's perfect for what they're building in this universe, you know, they had a really nice run with the Nolan Batman. Yeah, but that's never going to happen again, or at no. least not anytime soon. But what they have an opportunity for, if they will embrace it, and this studio seems to be blind, and I wish <laughs> that they would like let me help them out. But what this studio is in a position to do with Amanda Waller, Harley Quinn, the upcoming Wonder Woman movie that, by all accounts, is looking good, mm-hmm. they can be, they can be, the 
the the young ladies equivalent of what the guys like in the Marvel movies. I mean, they really you got to find your niche. It's like podcasting. You got to find your niche. And their niche, they shouldn't try to compete with Marvel. They should do their own thing and their thing should be, you know what? We have the strongest women on screen. So come see this. And I think that not only will young women like it, but I will like it, you know. Uh, yeah, well they they certainly have an opportunity to beat Marvel to the punch. Because uh, I mean, all they have on their slate is Captain Marvel, which which I have high hopes for, and I do love that comic book. And, um, and, and I will say that my daughter loved Agent Carter. You know, mm -hmm. I watch I watch anything I can with my daughter. She loved uh, the Force Awakens, of course, with uh, uh, Daisy Ridley. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, uh, uh, she she I guess she's okay with the Avengers and the way that uh, they treat Scarlet Witch and uh, Black Widow. But the way she responded to Harley Quinn is unlike anything I've ever seen before. And yeah. I, she's going to respond to Wonder Woman in an amazing way. You know, she. Well, well I think that DC's. Sorry. Go ahead. I, no, I was just going to say, I think these. I think the DC films demonstrate a desire in the audience for that. That I think they might be smart enough to actually run with if they can get their uh, heads out of their butts and realize like we don't need a dozen flash movies because we also have a TV show that isn't yes. related. Right. Um, but uh, you know, Marvel has fumbled the ball. People have wanted a black widow movie since uh, the first Avengers film. So going into phase two, people were like, where's the black widow movie? Um, and between wonder woman and Harley, uh, I think they have a good shot at it. And the box office numbers coming in, it looks like women, uh, much to the uh, uh, surprise of most people uh, who were looking at the box office, women are making up some 40 to 45% of the Suicide Squad audience. Uh, uh, the, the two screenings I went to had a very, mm -hmm. very female-heavy contingent that were watching the movie, and a lot of them were wearing Daddy's Little Monster t-shirts and stuff like that. I mean, you can't, you can't underestimate the value that Harley Quinn has – to a, a certain aged female viewer. Well, and it's not it's not really young either. I mean, people around uh, you know my age, early thirties, uh, and even slightly older, there were several groups of just women who came in as friends, friend groups, yeah. right? To just to watch the movie without boyfriends or husbands or anything else. They just made it a girls' night, and uh, I, I think that's a valuable segment of the audience. That like like you said, if DC is smart. They'll realize that, but we'll we'll see because Warner Brothers not always the smartest at decision making. And you know, my my uh, wife is is the demographic that is really really going to love Wonder Woman. Uh, my mm -hmm. daughter loves Harley Quinn, and once my boys are teenagers, they're going to love both of them. I, I promise them that. <laughs> <laughs> this looks stupid. Oh, I I do want uh, I do hope that DC also will. Um, give give a woman a crack at directing a Harley Quinn film. Well, you know, they, uh, I, I feel so bad because I have forgotten her name every time I've brought her up, but the director of the Wonder Woman film, Patty I know. Uh, Michelle McLaren? Yeah. Uh, no, no, that's Patty Jenkins. Patty Jenkins? Oh, yeah, Michelle McLaren the that, was there the first. The one that right? dropped from Thor, though, is, yeah. is Patty Jenkins, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so I think she... Yeah, Michelle McLaren was attached and then uh, dropped because they, she wanted to do a, a war movie. I, I just have the gut feeling that Patty Jenkins is going to do really, really well with Wonder Woman. Uh, I think that if she wanted to do Harley Quinn, that would be an opportunity she would have. But what other female directors do you guys think would be a good match for the uh, feel, the aesthetic, 
the message that Harley Quinn movie wants to get along because you guys know directors out there way better than I do. Penny Marshall. Uh, who? Penny, Penny Marshall. Penny Marshall. Yeah. <laughs> I no. think it'd be a really good it's, Harley it's Quinn movie. Baseball short skirts in a league of their own. I'd I'd go with uh, somebody like uh, Lexi Alexander, who directed Punisher Warzone, and oh, well, uh, I like her a lot, man. And uh, Green Street Hooligans. She's got and has been doing a, a lot of work for the DCU on uh, on the small screen. Several episodes of Supergirl and uh, Arrow at this point. She's got enough. She's got a wild enough bend to her that she'd probably fall in well with this. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean she and she enjoys working with the DC characters on the small screen. Um, so her, I, I don't know. I mean, there are a lot out there that like, it's weird to talk about directors, uh, and then try to come up with, with one woman that can do it because I'm sorry. I didn't mean to put you in an awkward spot there. I was just curious. Cause I know. No, no, no. Well, what, well, what's difficult about it though, is like, uh, you know, men get, uh, some 80 something percent of all directing jobs, period. Yeah. Right. So, so saying like this woman would do a really great job is actually really difficult because they get so few opportunities to direct anything that, you know, there's probably the, the perfect person to direct a Harley Quinn film cannot get funding for a $5 million indie because yeah. she's a woman, right? And so we don't know. But I think that uh, the the women who do do a really good job with uh, movies are doing indie fair sometimes that really has a free spirit and really does have kind of a punk rock attitude. And I think that's what you need for Harley Quinn. So I think that's a great place to look for a director would be those five million dollar indies. Yeah, I, I think that's true. Um, you know, like I said, I think Lexi Alexander would be an interesting choice because she – she will go full on crazy violent, uh, which I think you also need. That's one of the things that was missing from Suicide Squad was uh, I wish that they had pushed the PG thirteen a little harder. Okay, in the I, all right. So I'm gonna I'll, I'll I'll take you to task on that one. This uh-huh. thing is barely PG thirteen. This thing is so darn near an R. It's ridiculous. As a guy who took his three kids to see it, I agree with Adam because there were moments where I thought maybe I shouldn't have brought my. This kid. thing is extremely violent in like and not in a comic booky way at all. Mm-hmm. In a David Ayer kind of way. And I mean, I I guess, and but, but it is not. Uh, it is not violent in a way that Fury was. Do you well, see what no, I'm saying? Well, I mean, of course. I mean, if we're, that's apples and oranges there because that's like that is a straight. Oh my gosh! Oh, wow. Yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. But but my point is that like this movie, as far as the violence is concerned, what tones it down into that PG-13 territory and I think makes it a little meaningless is the fact that essentially uh, it's as violent as a Star Wars film. Which are very violent, but who do you see getting killed in all the Star Wars movies? Baddies. Well, not just baddies, but like stormtroopers, right? So you're not Faceless, seeing like bullets hit, you're things. not seeing lasers hit, you're not seeing slicing really. Uh, you've got uh, in all of the prequels, it's largely the droid armies mm-hmm. that are getting uh, slaughtered, right? And, even- uh, and here it's, it's like these weird uh, demon things that have been... Uh, people have been changed into they talk about them having been people and what they're doing to them but uh i don't know i got like i got that they were scared of going too far to make it not kid friendly but i gotta say 
I was in a screening where not many kids were even in there under the age of like 13 or 14. But you also went on a late on a Thursday night, so that's less likely to oh. have that, though. Even well, even I when guess. Slipknot even when Slipknot got his head blown off his shoulders, there wasn't a drop of blood. Right. And and what I was trying to say is, being the stereotypical American parent, the violence isn't what upsets me around my kids as much as the sexuality. There was a lot of sexy stuff here. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of sexy stuff here. Right. Yeah, well, and, that, and that's also what I what I want to talk what I what I was talking about when I said I hope they give a woman a chance to direct because. Uh, some of the stuff with Harley Quinn, because it's a man directing, right, is a little leery. It's a little like, oh, absolutely, man. Right, like it's a little too sexualizing in a bad way. I think. And um, the whole and don't get me wrong, I enjoy that because I'm a dude who likes women. Well, as but, a man who's never directed a movie, I know that if I were in David Ayer's position, I would say, how about we film all your scenes nude and we'll CGI on the costume because we're not sure what we, we want. Got a, we got a Green Lantern, your uh, costume on there, yeah. just, just on account of. <laughs> because, you know, for some of the trailers and promo material, they did CGI Harley's shorts to be a little bit longer. And uh -huh. I see him just rolling with that and saying, you know what? We'll just CGI the whole costume. You do all your scenes nude. But that's the feeling I got. Like, <laughs> it, it kind of like whenever I see feet in a Tarantino movie, I know why they're there. I felt that way with a couple of Harley scenes here. Yeah, of course. Because you've got, you know, David Ayer who writes these, you know, red, red hot-blooded American male movies. But I'll be honest with you, man. For me, man, she could have been in she could have been in that like the same little costume that she pulls out from the trunk there. It has still done about the same thing for me. I'll tell you that much right now. I'll uh, tell you what, man, two potato sacks is <laughs> I, I don't care. The 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 lady communicated with more than just the way she looked so so yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that margot robbie it would be impossible to ugly her up she just she just has a look on her face the whole time here and and the great part about her is is that she is playing okay and and let's let's get into this then she's playing better she's playing a better joker than jared leto i okay let's talk about jared leto i think mm -hmm. that's the real conversation we got to have before our time runs out because mm -hmm. we've already been recording a while man yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so let's talk a little bit about jared leto here as the joker and i'll let you guys go first because maybe i'm going to disagree i don't know i want to hear what you guys so I, I have one uh thing to say and it's not uh even really my own <laughs> opinion i mean it is my opinion but it's in someone else's words uh that i found uh you know exactly uh, how I felt about it. Right. right. Yeah. Um, so this. So uh, as I was on Twitter uh, the other day, uh, coming home from the film, um, I got on, and, and this tweet was going around by uh, Jason Bailey. Right. Um, Jason Bailey's the uh, film editor at Flavor Wire, um, and he's you know written a few books on movies uh, at Jason Dash Bailey, not dash but dash spelled out d-a-s-h uh so they had to put up with all that s from jared leto for that effing performance that's how i feel about it huh okay how do you feel out <laughs> well I, I think matt has an interesting point and because here's what you're kind of hearing around the campfire once uh you know everybody's going on their big tours and everything sounds like jared leto got a lot of stuff cut out of this movie and and I think Matt is right. I think from the kind of sounds of everything, he was going all super character actor. Wasn't like, you know, being a complete jerk to everyone on set, but, you know, stayed in the Joker persona and did all this kind of horse crap, right? 
you would have thought well, this was a Joker movie from what I'm hearing about Jared Leto. You, you would have thought that that they had made the Joker into a 15-year-old turd bucket okay. from the type of stuff he was doing. Huh. Hmm. Not necessarily a crazy person. Oh, I didn't, well, like I said, I don't know. I haven't read anything about, you know, anything. I haven't read anything extensively. I'll just say that. All I know, I mean, he went so method that uh, people said they'd never met Jared Leto. They'd only met the Joker and stuff like that. But yeah. Um, I, I think he's clearly being portrayed as a Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo Joker, a new 52 Joker, which, mm -hmm. you know, has its ups and its downs. I thought that he had a very, very unenviable task. Uh, nobody wants to follow that Heath Ledger performance. And you have to make it your own. And I think he made it his own. And I thought mostly it worked as the Joker. And I think some of what may have helped that is I get the idea that perhaps Jared Leto didn't know a lot about the Joker, so he could make it his own. Uh, and especially coming off the heels of the killing joke uh, that Adam and I watched in the theater, the definitive Joker story, if you follow uh, most people's opinion about the comic it was based on. And you you got to kind of do something different because the Joker's been done so much. And I thought that he did a pretty good job of giving us a new Joker that I still find comic book accurate if you look at some more recent comics as well as some of the video game jokers and things like that to me here's here's the thing that i that i've always found with joker that i found missing in in leto's joker um the serious stuff is all is all perfectly fine but at the end of the day if you take the exact performance that's on screen right now take off the joker accoutrement that's just a gangster that ain't the joker that's just okay. that's just I, a gangster cat that's in I there. I think that's fair. We need a touch of nihilism. We need a touch of not caring about anything. So I just really said a redundant thing there. But anyway, we need some chaos. You're right. This guy does come across just like a gangster, but we need something akin to when Heath Ledger set a mountain of money on fire. I we want the I want the crazy. See, that's what I mean. That's what, and, and I'll go back to it every time. And I don't care at this point. But that's what made Hamill's has for the past twenty five years made Hamill's Joker so good, is that he had the dichotomy of insane, crazy madman and also serious, crazy guy who will just do anything at any moment. And that's what you really have to watch out for. Because a smart guy who's absolutely crazy is one of the most dangerous things ever. Now, for the past five years, Joker has been absolutely frightening. Uh, did you find Jared Leto frightening? No, I found him just to be like any old gangster because he didn't have that level. Like so I'm saying, the level of crazy that I needed to have that character have, he did not have it. There were moments of it. There were moments that, like, you know, when we kind of see the flashback there to him, I guess, giving her some sort of a crazy electroshock thing, you kind of yeah. start to see a little bit there. We needed more of that. <clears throat> we needed a lot more of that. We needed... Uh, I, I like the kind of change at the end with him in the uh, in the in the costume and stuff coming to rescue her. I think we needed more crap like that. Just to go again, go over the top. Make this the Joker's a character that is bigger than life. Make him so. You painted him up, painted him up as such, but you did not make him as such. I wanted uh, no Joker in this movie outside of the beginning. Huh. I I I, I did not care that he was coming for Harley. That uh, he doesn't added add, nothing. He doesn't add anything to the entire movie, really. No, I mean the the beginning where where they're doing a little bit of the origin of Harley uh, and how she becomes captured. That's fine. 
I would have liked it to have been a complete enigma until we can actually focus in on him as opposed to uh, what we got in this movie, which was he's just always there. It's and, a giant short and ruining stuff. Well, uh, because he's yet another thing that I guarantee you Warner Brothers said we need to shoehorn this in a little more. Well, one thing I'll say that I did not like about the Joker, and I'm just going to go ahead and go on record as saying, for the most part, I was uh, I approve of the Joker we got. I approve of this interpretation. You need something different from Heath Ledger, just like Heath Ledger had to be different from uh, Jack Nicholson or Jack Nicholas. Nicholson, yeah, who was unfortunately not different enough for my taste from uh, Cesar Romero. But anyway, uh, he gave us something new. He took an unenviable task. No wonder he went nuts over the role because there's a lot of pressure on that role. The one thing I didn't like, though, Joker really shouldn't care that much about Harley. No, and I didn't like that And nihilism either. comes into play. Like, he really should only care about her if she's got something he mm -hmm. needs, if he can use her as a tool. I mean, that is that that relationship is so famously asymmetric and unhealthy. Yeah, uh, the the love the the love story of Harley Quinn and Joker is entirely within Harley Quinn's mind. Yeah, and the Joker knows how to manipulate that. And, and this Joker <laughs> doesn't do that. And Paul Dini understood that so well. I mean, even in a kid's. Well, arguably a kid's cartoon show he had harley quinn saying things like don't you want to get on your harley and ride vroom vroom and joker just ignoring her they didn't have anything like that in here yeah uh i didn't mind the iteration of the joker i think i just i didn't find what he was doing in this movie interesting at all and it was one of many things i wish they had just not shoehorned in here well i i like the. i, I think the movie i well i think the movie's biggest problem is that it it uh, it's bloated with nods and built-in references to other things that uh, are also not established franchises yet. And you already have enough going on in a film that is an ensemble cast that has uh, you know eight unknown characters who have never been in a friggin comic book movie before. Um, you don't need to distract from that. If this movie had been a lean 90-ish minute action flick that was down and dirty and single-minded about its mission, it would have been nearly perfect. Well, let, but as such, it's just not that. Well, let's try to cut some fat here. Character-wise, cast-wise, which characters would you cut and or substitute? Get rid of Boomerang. Okay, I'm, I'm going to disagree just a tiny bit there i think he's fun but the only reason that character is in this movie is to build in a shot of the flash well what i'll say is boomerang is the first time i've ever seen jai courtney and not just totally wanted to punch him in the face so that says something he looks like, like he's at least got a little bit of energy yeah, yeah, on him my, he can finally use his native I've accent ever enjoyed it's the first time i've ever enjoyed jai courtney on screen so i don't want to deny him the, the opportunity no it's the same for me but that character does not need to be here uh, the only reason the character is in the film is so they can have a shot of the Flash arresting him. Well, and everybody can go, oh, look, it's the Flash. Well, Get you, rid of the character. He serves no story purpose. I, I, I agree. Jai Courtney is great. It is also the first time I've not wanted to look at the screen and just punch the screen even. Well, you have to keep in mind that I'm rewriting the script already. Like, I've got a different bad guy, uh -huh. a different big bad. So, so Boomerang. Yeah, I mean, that's the biggest problem, too. Boomerang needs to be the member of the team that betrays them. 
and uh, that's why I would keep him in there. Okay, uh, yeah, I could go with that. But Enchantress, I'm talking about the movie we have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and Enchantress is the villain. I think we can just cut that. And I'm going to say something here, and I hope I don't uh, make you guys mad. I do not like this Cara Delevingne actress one bit. I don't like anything. No, I don't like her either. Well, here's the thing. The, the funny part is, is like in this movie, she is just like overacting so hardcore when she's possessed and everything. Yeah, when she's possessed, she's up there doing like the, the white sorority girl really, really bad dancing while she talks. Like, I'm embarrassed for her, yeah. and it's a person I don't even like, and I'm still embarrassed But the for hilarious her. part is, is that like when you look at like, you know, Paper Towns, with Matt, which Matt and I reviewed on the film Fine, um, she's fairly just subdued and boring in that movie. And uh-huh. if you've ever seen her uh, interview, she's very subdued and not in a good and way. And it's like, so. where where did this weird kind of over the top, you know, craziness that you've got going on here? Not crazy in a good way, crazy in a bad way. Come and, from you know, and and she's just so overshone by the performance Margot Robbie gives us. Everything she gives me, you know, the biggest, you know, I didn't like her as an actress on a level before I'd ever seen the movie because she did some interviews where she insulted superhero movies and then somebody pointed out she was in Suicide Squad. She said, oh, well, that's different. That's so, different. You know, they paid some, me for that one. <laughs> yeah, there's some personal issues there, but but her performance to me is just so lousy. And, and comic books depend on the villain. Comic book movies depend on the villain. She really let everybody down with her performance. She was so, so bad, just like you said, when she's up there possessed and she's doing her very, very poor impression of the Axl Rose uh, Sweet Child of Mine dance. <laughs> yeah. Well, here, here's where I am on this character, right? Like, I, I hate that performance in the end. I don't mind it at the beginning of the film. The beginning's fine. And and the real problem is, why is Enchantress the big villain? Well, yeah, I've got that problem. I think Brimstone uh, would be some comic book accurate stuff. They're really trying to build up Apocalypse for Justice League. You know, we had that cut Steppenwolf. Mm-hmm. Uh, cut Steppenwolf scene from uh, BVS and talk about uh, the Justice League movie. The big bad guy might be Steppenwolf. It's going to have an apocalypse. That's what I hear. Why not have Brimstone here as a as a uh, uh, sort of a, a ranger or a scout or something? Well, for the re- but the reason they don't have that, right, is because this movie was never supposed to be the thing that connected everything. When they went back and retooled what this movie was doing... It was because the reaction to BBS had been so bad that they knew we have to keep working at building this thing up. And so they went back to this 90-something minute action movie and built in a bunch of crap that doesn't need to be there. And one of the things that they couldn't build in was changing the big bad, big bad guy. And uh, what do you guys think about Killer Croc? Boring. I really enjoyed Killer Croc. I don't care. I, I thought I thought it was fun. I, I like their previous idea, what they were going to do, which would have been King Shark. Well, you know, I'm glad that they took uh, Michael Chiklis' old Thing costume and spray-painted it green and gave it to Killer Croc. <laughs> Killer Croc's got to be huge, joke, but man. that is still the best iteration of the Thing costume we've seen on screen. Well, I would have rather have had Bronze Tiger. And I don't know if either of you guys are Suicide Squad fans, but Bronze Tiger makes more sense in every regard, and you don't have to to CGI him like you would with King Shark, and you don't have to have a ton of prosthetics like you do with Killer Croc. And there were times where I was almost offended, almost found it offensive, some of the dialogue they gave Killer Croc. Like, we really have to communicate that this guy is a stereotypical uh, thug of a certain race or something. So there were some moments there that bothered me. But I think Bronze Tiger would have been really good. 
You know who we really can get rid of in uh, not only this movie, but everything? Joel Kinnaman. Joel Kinnaman, you suck, bro. I liked him, man. I thought he did a great impression oh. of Bradley Cooper doing an impression of Chris Kyle. <laughs> he, he's solid enough in here, but I, I am also he's on the anti-Joel Kinnaman train. But he's Swedish, and I heard you guys on the film find talking about a Swedish actress that couldn't do a very good American accent. Well, as a Swedish actor, Joel Kinnaman did a pretty darn good crack. Yeah, well, Joe, Joel Kinnaman's been playing an American for like eight years now. He was the lead on The Killing on AMC and... Right, like that was in Seattle. He he gets a pass on that stuff. I'm just saying, generally, I'm on the anti Joel Kinnaman train, and I'm what fairly if, if certain Tom he's Hardy, on meth. What if Tom Hardy had stuck with the role? I I think it would have been great, maybe. Yeah, it probably <laughs> like it probably would have been great, maybe. That works for almost any answer, but uh, <laughs> Joel Kinnaman just seems like he just seems like he's always mad and smells farts. Well, maybe you, you never know, man. He's working with Viola Davis. Maybe she he was he was working the track. Viola was, Davis loves Chef Boardie. You don't even know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Joe Kinnaman, I, I I think for me he was passable. You guys didn't like him. Why didn't they just go for Bradley Cooper if they wanted Chris Kyle? Too much money. He got that. He, he's, he's on that Guardians train, son. He don't. He, and he ain't even got to. He ain't even got to put on pants to do that one. And maybe yeah. they're saving Tom Hardy just in case Bane comes into the Suicide Squad someday. Perhaps, uh, you know, I did like. Um, oh, what's his? What's his, I mean, Jay Hernandez for what the role was did a fine enough job. At least he seemed like he was acting in this movie. Yeah, yeah, I, I get that though. The I don't character's know. a little underwritten and not, is, and is a little bit kind of hammy. But, is that Diablo we're talking about? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that actor very well. At least I don't think I know him very well. With Diablo, I think they dropped the ball a little bit on how I would like to have had them interpret him. I mean, he needs to be almost like a Buddhist monk, like Dalai Lama, because in the comics, to control his dark side, he has to be so uh, Buddhist monk. Well, that, this uh, was David Ayer's version of that, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he, he still seems very, uh, you know, stereotypical. M, what do they call him? MS-13, whatever the uh, yeah. Spanish uh-huh. street is that I don't really know much about but but sometimes they they seem to fail to show you that the beauty of this character of uh, uh of diablo the third diablo which is the one that he's playing the beauty of that character is he was a person who was part of a very violent culture in east los angeles and now he's essentially uh this transcendent buddhist monk and he really has learned how to channel his power and and they hinted at that but they didn't really communicate that to us and now he's dead so we're never going to get to see that but i'm glad somebody died with consequences i'm still upset that clara delavine came alive at the end of the movie yeah i just uh-huh. I, I i've never cared about enchantress anyway so i like it made no difference to me no one way or the, about other. Enchantress. the only enchantress people care about is the uh asgardian marvel comics enchantress nobody cares about june moon and and you need to have consequences i think in modern movies and having her come back to life took away those consequences and probably doomed us to see her on screen again yeah and and here's the thing man like why would why again were they the 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 whole like even forming of the squad was such a weird thing because they're like they're forming it before they know the whole before she goes cuckoo bananas and stuff and instead of being a well because uh, it's an insurance policy in case uh in case another metahuman like superman ever came around and they had to take care of it and that person was not superman so he like was a bad guy yeah right? but it feels like it just happened in 2 seconds i mean i think that's where my problem lies is that well, it just went it just was uh, like 0 to 60 so, so fast well you yeah, got 
you got to understand, first off, they don't want to have this particular movie be a procedural drag in the beginning. And you also got to understand Amanda Waller's been working on this since Man of Steel was made, what, five years ago now or something like that? Right. Four years ago now. So what we see happens in a second, but it's not that the squad being formed really happens in a second. It's that the meeting with uh, Tolliver, uh, David Harbour's character, happens in a second. But she's had this all planned for a very long time. Well, you yeah, know who you know hasn't what, You know DC'd. what I would have liked to have seen uh, as a structural piece to make that a little better, I think, is, okay, so Enchantress goes bad, okay? Take care of that business real quick. Have that be a bonding mission for the team, and then they have to go out and do the second bigger bad that's the, what I was saying, film. man. That's what I was saying for about the because 90 to 290 real minute movie. And even I was sitting there going like, man, this is uh this is going to be the big thing that happens and it's happened in the first half hour. And and something that would have worked for me because I like a certain type of Amanda Waller, the tough as nails Amanda Waller who you hate, but I like that character that's meant to be hated is uh Enchantress goes rogue. She resurrects her brother. Amanda Waller immediately just crushes her heart. Enchantress is dead and gone. No June Moon, no Enchantress, but now Incubus is really upset, and they got to take down Incubus. That would have worked. Yeah. Incubus is her brother, by the way. Yeah. But that would have worked really well for me. The way that they played this and then had June Moon come back at the end, that, that just didn't work for me because that's nothing. You know the Amanda Waller who was getting ready to leave the control center in Midway City, and she said, hold on, i got to do something real quick before I leave, and she just put a, a cap in the chest of every unpaid intern in that room? Yes. That's Amanda Waller. She, she, even if June Moon does come back, she's dead in Amanda Waller. Well, Amanda Waller's not going to let her live. Right. So, so kill her. And then let Incubus be the big bad. Let Brimstone be the big bad. You know, they didn't have this worked into the greater DCEU continuity, as you said, when it went into pre-production. But you've got that post-credit sequence to work it in if you don't want to bring in Brimstone. Still, you got to have a big bad that's not Enchantress. you got to have consequences. Let Enchantress die the same way that Slipknot died. And you know what? We also had Diablo die. I honestly could see a version of this where nobody's alive at the end but Waller, Deadshot, Harley, and Flag. Yeah. And I think I think that's that's pretty honest to the source material too. I mean they're they've got suicide right in the name. Their missions people die. They are uh you know if I can borrow a quote from my good friend Sylvester Stallone, they are expendable. So let's expend <laughs> some of them. Sure. Then you can just get some of the crummy ones out of the way. Uh, so let, let's go to uh, Matt Matt's uh, email, Matt Schnapp, uh, super fan here, and because uh, I think his his, his thoughts are pretty poignant, and uh, I think match up pretty well with mine. Uh, so it says, hey guys, I just watched the Suicide Squad, and it was okay. Yes, just okay. A couple of thoughts. One. The beginning feels rushed. I realize the setting up of the uh, plot while introducing all the different characters isn't an easy task, but it felt a bit ADHD in how much uh, the first half jumped around. Now, what I will say that I liked, I mean, I kind of like their title cards and stuff like that. I thought that felt very comic booky. Yes, I, I love that. It's like little miniature, if I can give myself a plug, little miniature H&B episodes for each character. Yeah, I mean, it was it was fun. I, I like that. I was just like that. I thought that was a really cool element. But again, he's not wrong. 
we could have fleshed these characters out a lot more. Number two, uh, when I think Suicide Squad, I think more heist than assault. I've never really read any Suicide comics, but my view uh, of the team is informed by the Justice League Unlimited episode Task Force X. In that regard, I found the movie mildly disappointing, but I understand that a movie like this is going to be over-the-top action. Number three, I actually found the Joker annoying more than anything. That's not a good thing. And uh, lastly, he says, uh, This movie wasn't bad, and it doesn't deserve the low scores it's been getting, but it isn't great either. It's a serviceable, entertaining, but ultimately forgettable film, uh, with the exception of Margot Robbie. She's wonderful. Keep up the good work. That's from uh, longtime listener Matt. And I think i got to agree with all that stuff. I mean, like, Margot Robbie, great Will Smith, great. Amanda Waller, great. Uh, everything else, like the execution of everything is okay, but I was not really blown away by... I wasn't as happy as I wanted to be at the end, but I wasn't as disappointed mm-hmm. as I sh- sure shooting could have been. Yeah, I walked out of here feeling much better about this movie than I did after uh, Batman vs. Superman, and as we all know, I didn't hate that movie either. <laughs> um But uh, this one I'm a little more positive on, if only because I do think they managed to make an interesting uh, Deadshot Harley movie. Mm -hmm. The rest of the team, who cares, quite honestly? Um, Like, do they all have some fun moments? Yes, they all have some fun moments. Um, Except for Enchantress, most of those moments suck. Um. But but this is the this is the Harley Deadshot show, right? And uh, they they certainly get that right. So you know if you can have a have two leads be fleshed out, and then the rest of them are just kind of there. That like what we find out about Captain Boomerang is that he got picked up during a heist uh, by the Flash, right? Which is why he's in uh, Midway City anyway um, to join the squad. Well, uh, Katana I'll- I think is the most underwritten. Yeah, the whole thing. And, and she's so expendable, I kind of forgot to even mention her. So mm-hmm. I got to cut her character out. Uh, in a weird way, one of the strongest positives is this movie made me feel a lot bit a lot better about Ezra Miller as the Flash than BVS did. The uh, that scene in question actually shot by Zack Snyder. Well, well, well. So they were like, "Hey, that, we we've got him," and that's and that's how Boomerang is kind of making his way into this movie. I think I don't I don't understand what you're talking about because literally there's a shot of the Flash standing there. Hey, that's what that's what he, he shot. There's <laughs> a few. Yeah, 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 but but that makes us feel good about what the movie's gonna be. I'm get, just saying, get, get out. Of that. I'm not get saying that it's still better. I'll it makes say, me feel better about back. the casting of the Flash than the shot we got of him standing there in BVS. I I honestly felt like. Uh, this guy maybe actually watched a few uh, episodes of Grant Gustin's The Flash between his BVS role and what we get here. This Grant Gustin character is doing what we like to call a good job. Hmm. I made a snap judgment that he was going to be very, very bad, and now I've made a snap judgment that he's not going to be very, very bad. So they're both snap judgments, but... (laughs) Based on no motion. (laughs) He's going to be wrong on all all sides. (laughs) It's okay. No, it's fine. Okay. All right. Fair enough. So I am so blah about whoever. I I wish that the Flash had never popped up in this movie. Period. Doesn't ever. need to. Certainly doesn't need to. But again, it, it is all, all universe building. I think all of that building. stuff distracts from the thing that could have made this good, which is that it was lean and mean, and it's not. It's bloated and fat. Yeah. Now, before we get to the proper reviews and, and Stallone connection and everything, um, let's let's talk about the kind of uh, almost post mid post 
credit sequence and everything. Mm-hmm. Bruce yeah. Wayne coming in talking to Amanda Waller. What Did is... you just say Swain? No. Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne. I didn't hear the brew part. His first name is Brew. His last name is Swain. <laughs> but it, you, you must have skipped that here in the villains episode. Is this a episode. mad TV sketch now? Yeah, I liked it. I liked it because <laughs> I liked it because of what it said about Amanda Waller more than anything it said about the Justice League or Bruce Wayne. But mm-hmm. I liked it. It was fine uh, to me. I, I really though I got to say I, I wish we would had more Batman in it. I liked the little bits that he was in. I mean he he had a great presence for what little tiny bits he was in. But I, I certainly wish we had more of him or something. But I'm a I'm a Batman guy. I'll be honest. Yeah, I like I Batman too, but, too, but I think we had just the right amount of Batman, or maybe just yeah. I I wish that we had had the same amount of Joker as we had had of Batman. That's fair enough. And yep. I and I hated I hated the stinger at the actual end of the movie of him breaking in to get Harley Quinn. Just trim that out. Who I like cares? it. I like. I mean, it it functions well enough, but it's fat, man. Who cares? Leave it. We've got a Batman movie coming. Leave it be. It sets up a potential Harley Quinn future without the Suicide Squad. I think it was a good move. But but it sets it can set that up anyway, because it like I don't know. I get so exasperated about all the damn building into the thing this movie does that for me, just ruins the flow. Like the emotional story arc of Harley Quinn is way over before they get to that stinger. Just leave it at that. It's good to have a single movie every once in a while. How about this? How about if Joker breaks in to rescue her and we get to the point that we got, let's say 10 years ago in the comics where Harley says, just take off. I thought you were dead and I came to terms with that. I'm on my own now. I just wish it had never happened, like in any iteration. Just leave Harley Quinn to have an actual ending for a moment. Comic books do that, too. Yes. It's not always building in the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. That's what, that is what ruins Suicide Squad for me is all the moments that, like, just let someone have a, a single character arc. Don't, like, Batman versus Superman had the same problem. The Batman-Superman character arcs are not even complete before Doomsday shows up and kills off Superman. Just let an arc be for a minute. That's all I want out of this stuff. Is like just a moment of character development that is honest and you just let it have room to be its own thing before you reintroduce all the other stuff again. And that's that's what actually it is the only thing that infuriates me in all these shared universe comic book movies. Like, it's all really cool that they all take place together. But I feel like with the Avengers, right, the main problem with those movies for me is that they never end. What worked about Ant-Man was that there's a little bit of tie in in the middle, but that movie is a complete arc for the main character, period. Here, Harley Quinn does not get to have a complete arc. It, it finishes and then it starts again before the end of the movie. Well, that's where I think if she rebuffed Joker, she would have completed her arc because she needs to rebuff Joker and that's going to happen soon. I have a feeling. Uh, yeah, I guess so. But then what do you do at the end of the film? You see what I'm saying? Like the film still has to have an ending that's natural. And I don't know that a rebuff of the Joker is the natural ending for that. Well, how about it ends? Uh, you rearrange things a little bit. How about it ends with Waller and Bruce Wayne and then a mid credit scene as her rebuffing the Joker? 
I would have think I would have thought it would have been a total baller move for them to never have Joker rescue her. Period, and then just end the movie with that Waller Bruce Wayne scene, and then no mid credits stinger or regular stinger. Nothing. I, I like the credit stuff. Yeah, everybody does. It doesn't matter. End <laughs> the movie. It's fine. I don't need to sit there for twenty minutes and watch till the end of credits because you got to fit in like another Fallout Boy song or whatever. Well, I've got a friend who works oftentimes in the art department. That's the only way he can get people to watch his credit is when they're in credits. <laughs> well, I have I have friends that are all up in that stuff, and I don't watch their stuff either. <laughs> I hate you too. All right, so let's get down to it, boys. We gotta we gotta we got the unenviable task here to relate Suicide Squad back to our good old friend Sylvester Stallone. And uh, I I don't exactly have a prepared statement. <laughs> oh. Here's the thing. This one was uh, this was yet another hard one, HMP. There's as many people as are in this bloody movie. You think some of them, in some way, shape, or form, would have uh, you know a connection to the Salami King? But it it was a heck of a lot harder than I you know had anticipated. But you know I don't I don't walk away from these things. You know I mean you know you're in for a penny, you're in for a pound. And it's so funny that uh, the guy who normally uh, does the Stallone connection, Mr. Sean Keenan, I got I picked out a name that is almost kind of an uh, you know kind of like I'd call him a parallel version of Sean Keenan. His name is Season Kent. Oh, I go with that. That's a real person's name. <laughs> Uh, but Season Ken is the uh, is the music supervisor on uh, Suicide Squad, and I'll be honest with you, kids, that is one of the big parts of this movie that I really liked. Yeah. Now you got the soundtrack that's available, and even all the songs that are on that soundtrack are. There's even more stuff that's in the movie that's not even on that soundtrack. There is a lot of really good stuff here that I think uh, David Ayer and crew used to fantastic. Um, you know, just display to let us know what's going on who's there it's got everybody you know from like everything from from the queen song that you hear there to uh you know black sabbath and to the skrillex you know for whoever those kids whoever likes that kind of stuff uh but it's all over the map and i really like it to, to ccr to everything man there's a lot of good stuff in here and uh season kent has worked on a ton of stuff he did uh, some music supervisor stuff for arrow the flash the legends of tomorrow stuff so real deep in the uh, dc universe here last year he you know speaking of the enchantress herself uh, was the music supervisor for paper towns and a movie that M matt and i loved a whole heck of a lot called magic mike xxl now, he's also worked on, uh, you know, Fury, Fault in Our Stars. And way back when, in 2013, he worked on a little movie called Escape Plan, co-starring Sylvester Stallone as uh, Ray Breslin, I believe is, is the uh, character's name, if memory serves. Uh, and so, you know, no one saw Escape Plan, but Arnold and, uh, and Sly are in jail together, and they have a lot of, you know, stunt doubles that fight each other. It's fun, man. Okay, well... <laughs> Matt's also a glutton for punishment, as we've seen if you listen to the film fine. Uh, so that is it. It's not written very well because, you know, we're recording a heck of a lot earlier and I haven't really had time to sit down and pin that. But that's this week's Stallone Connection. Now, now uh, Enchantress and uh, Enchantress 2, let's uh, go ahead and break down this this movie. Matt, you're the guest. What was your uh, What is your official Robin rating? What are the ratings Suicide again? You'll Squad. have to reiterate them. I'll send them to you. I, I know that. Just just tell me. Well, Dick Grayson's the best, and the Jason yeah, Todd's the worst. Damien and, Wayne's but, in the middle. But, oh, oh. I don't know. Bruce, go ahead. You go ahead. Matt. It's a negative three star. <laughs> so, I don't know. 
Okay, in that case, you, that you guys go first, and then I'll think of how I actually want to rate it. All right, Bruce, what do you got? In sharp contrast, I guess, to uh, what Matt just had to say, and uh, I just want to say that I enjoyed, I had a good time. And a lot of our discussion, we talked about some of the things that we didn't like so well, but I want to clarify that I think I enjoyed it more than I may have conveyed during the discussion. And, you know, what do I look for in a movie? I look for a fun time for the most part. I mean, sometimes I look for more than that, but as long as there's a fun time, I can work with it. I look for characters that I'm curious about and attached to and want to see more of, and this movie had three or four of those. Uh, and then at the end of the day, I like rewatchability. Uh, the second time I watched BVS, I did not enjoy it as much as the first time. The third time, I had to force myself to get through it. With this one, I enjoyed it more the second time. So I, I give it a big ups there. So I'm going to be bold here, and I'm going to go ahead and give this to Tim Drake, even though you probably couldn't glean that from the discussion we had. <laughs> no, I think I kind of fall into a, a close to the same kind of category here. I think I fall a little bit more into the negative uh, than the positive there, which leaves me at a Damian Wayne. So right there in the middle, not the biggest, not the smallest or anything. There are a lot of stuff. I mean, again, you know, we hear, you hear, heard a lot of the poo-poo on the show, but, I mean, there's a lot of things in this that I really did like. I mean, I thought Will Smith, you know, coming in as a baddie, usually just a good guy all the time, but coming in, and I thought he was believable enough as a character. I thought the, uh, uh, I just, I loved how he, the, the character looked both in costume and out of costume, his regular kind of streetwear and everything. I thought that was really good. And, and Margot Robbie just just blows away the entire movie, man. She's a presence on screen that no matter what she's doing, she's just she's magnetic. You just look at what she's doing, and everything is super, super interesting. And, and again, I feel like she played the best Joker here of having that kind of like serious and crazy. I might have even liked to seen her go a little bit more crazy on somebody. But, uh, but I think she played a better Joker than Jared Leto's Joker, which I thought was a Great gangster character, but could have used a lot more manic uh, to get into the realm of what I consider to be, you know, the Joker. Matt, what do you got? All right. So we all remember on uh, the BVS uh, podcast review, right, mm -hmm. that uh, I was a little higher than you guys were on that movie. Mm -hmm. I, I went uh, Tim Drake. In full-on fashion, that is a lower Tim Drake. So it would be more toward Damian Wayne. Mm-hmm. This one, I'm going to go high-end Tim Drake, because it is better than Batman Superman. Oh, um, eye to eye. I like that. Uh, as much crap as I dislike about how they fill this movie out, and it's all Warner Brothers and maybe a little bit of David Ayer, uh, it works for the thing that it should work for, which is establishing a bunch of different characters and setting up a down-and-dirty action film. I think if you go in looking for that movie within all of the other crap going on around it, you'll be just fine and you'll walk out appreciating what it was you just saw. But if, uh, if you're wanting something that, uh, you know, the way Warner brothers keeps pushing this or was pushing this was that it had repinned all of the hopes of what its future was going to be pretty much on the shoulders of what suicide squads performance was, was, mm -hmm. um, if you if you have that high expectation, because that's what Warner says about it, is this is us attempting to make right by you, uh, you'll probably be disappointed. But go looking for the movie that Suicide Squad almost was, and you'll be just fine. I, th I think that's a fairly uh, fair assessment right there, for sure. See, everybody, Marvel, Marvel didn't pay us a paycheck. 
Although if if they want to, if they want to, uh, they I can will send just... it to me, and I will go full on. Uh, probably not all the way down, but I'll go Stephanie for sure. I'll I will just <laughs> trounce this movie so hard for money. <laughs> <laughs> that's true it's true uh so that is it everybody matt thanks for joining us this week my man thanks for uh making me not see nine lives so that i only can release this on film uh, fine oh drat <laughs> that sentence almost didn't make sense but i think i pulled it together in the end yeah it's hey that's all that counts man at the end people just go i get it it's fine uh uh-huh. <laughs> uh but uh, next I felt very adam there well that's good hey that's that just shows the show's wearing off on you it's nice I don't know. It, come on in and enjoy the water it's gross uh, so <laughs> next week we got something a little bit different. Uh, we got another, uh, potential guest. I don't know. Have we nailed him down, Bruce? Yeah. Yeah. Chris is good for the show. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so f- for your, from your favorite show in mind, Chubby Wizard, Chris Elvins is going to come on our, uh, our Canadian conjurer himself is going to come on and Bruce, we got a special, we got a special little thing for everybody. Don't we? Uh, a special show for everybody. Yeah. I think yeah. it's. I think this, I, I don't think even is... know the name of the movie exactly. I'm gonna have to look it up between now and then. <laughs> but it's the made-for-TV uh, Bill Bigsby Incredible Hulk Thor movie. You know, just when you thought is that trial? No, trial's the one that we watched that had Daredevil. In. Yeah, we've oh, already yeah, we've right. we've already seen Incredible that. Incredible Hulk Returns. There we yeah, go. Yeah, that's the one. The Incredible Hulk Returns. It is available on YouTube. Yes. Uh, it's on Hulu for sure. I don't know about well, There YouTube. you go. So, I mean, you know, most of you can probably find it. But that's what we're going to be reviewing next week with uh, Chris. So should be a very interesting episode there. In the meantime, Matt, where can we find more of your work on the Internet this week, sir? Well, uh, you should listen to the podcast I do with uh, Adam, although this week you did listen to it. Boom. Um, the film find. Uh, and then uh, just follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Boyd underscore Smith. Uh, I'm on there somewhat frequently. And Mr. Leslie. Well, uh, for one thing, I would like people to follow Matt on Instagram because he does a great <laughs> job of singing George Jones. So I want people to go check that out. And then they can uh, go to Chubby Wizard. You mentioned Chubby Wizard. People want to get a preview of what it's going to be like when we get a dose of Chris Elvins here on Hero Movie Podcast. Go listen to Chubby Wizard. You're going to hear us potentially talk about the first comic book ever written by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar this week. <laughs> Didn't get that far in the episode yet. <laughs> well, no, that's the one that hasn't been recorded. Oh, yet. it hasn't been recorded yet. Ooh, fancy. Uh, and of course, our other show, uh, Preacher Podcast, at, uh, and uh, on the iTunes, Google Play, and all those good places. The season may have ended, but the fun doesn't stop there. No, sir. We've got other stuff. We got other plans in mind. Some things we're going to be sprinkling throughout that feed during the year. So while the show may be off the air, we don't futz around over here, boy. We can we uh, we still lean into it hardcore. So check all that good stuff out. And as Matt mentioned, the film finding all that kind of good jazz. And of course, we'll be back here every single week. And uh, I we promise, Sean will be back. He's not. We did not kill him. He is not off the show. Trust me. <laughs> he is. He's still around. We love him. Yeah. They didn't kill him. It's amazing how much time Shut it up, takes man. to recuperate. Jeez. It's amazing how much time it takes to recuperate from a Brazilian butt lift. Oh, but <laughs> let me tell you, it's worth it. It is so <laughs> worth it. All right, everybody, that is it. Until next week when we talk about the, what's it called, the Return of the Incredible Hulk. The Incredible Hulk returns. Fair enough. A little bit of dyslexia never happens. Versus Thor in the Court of Justice. We don't need any more of that, please. (laughs) Dear Lord, please, no. All right, that is it, everybody. For the absent Sean Keenan, Matt Smith, Bruce Leslie, I'm Adam Portress. Stay super, everybody.